a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very profound. Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, guys, the author of A Place Between Time and Space, Chaz of the Dead, comes by to talk to us about what bees have to do with UFOs, what the cavity structure effect is, and basically, if you can strap a bunch of bug wings together in a certain configuration, you create a UFO levitating platform that appears as shapes and alternate UFOs to people below you. Guys, this is a fascinating episode. You're absolutely gonna love this thing, so we're gonna get right to it here. Check all the links below, all the ways to find him. Without any further ado, Chaz of the Dead. <laughs> the god of the god there at the end. <laughs> well, that's the one we're keeping. You know this, that yes? That might be the winner. Okay, that is the one we're keeping. Okay, yeah. you ready to rock? Yeah, let's do it. All right, fucking A, man. Uh, Chaz of the Dead, welcome to the show here. Dude, so fucking good to see you again. You and I met on a panel with Andy Rouse of uh, The Deep Share a while back, man. That was back a, a while back. And so uh, I was thinking about you the other day. I was like, God, oh, I posted that bees thing and tagged you and Andy in it. And that was the thing. And so you, oh, I posted yeah. this thing about bees and about how crazy it is because I remember in that episode, <clears throat> you were... T saying some incredible facts about bees that we're going to get to here, but from an audience that doesn't know you too well, sir, just please introduce yourself. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Chaz. Um, you can find me at Chaz of the Dead on all the things. And yeah, I'm a paranormal adventurer, I like to say. Um, I like to travel around um, different places and conduct weird, you know, unconventional experiments in the pursuit of searching for answers in the paranormal field, whether that's ghosts or Bigfoot or UFOs. Um, I personally subscribe to the idea that there's some kind of consciousness-based connection between the, the, the phenomenon, all of them. Um, <clears throat> but uh, whatever it is, I'm there and I'm, I'm looking into it. Um, so uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to get into it. And uh, the B stuff is... It's intriguing. It's my current uh, current project I'm working on, as it were. <laughs> well, then let's just you know let's just launch right into this here because I'm I was so fascinated by this. Let's just let the audience in on it. I'm I'm not a teaser kind of person, dude. Let's just talk about the dope shit right now. So tell us what you know about bees. So <clears throat> this um, this kind of saga, you're like, wait, paranormal investigator? Why are we talking about bees? <laughs> let me break it down a little bit. So. Um, it was probably six years ago. Um, I was backpacking in Morocco. Um, and at the time my paranormal investigations was pretty much just like a little blog I was writing independently. Um, and, um, you know, traveling around, I would meet people, ask them about their weird experiences and, you know, kind of document them as I went. And, um, in Tangier, uh, a friend of a friend was like, oh, I know a guy, you gotta talk to, you gotta talk to this dude. And he set up this meeting and I met with this guy a couple times. His name was George. And he was an American dude who had lived in Tangier for most of his life. And he proceeded to tell me that, oh, he knew a bunch of intelligence people and not just normal intelligence people, people who actually flew and piloted UFOs. And I was like, well, shit, tell me more. And he proceeded to tell me, and I remember his phrasing was that, um, oh, yeah, the, the secret to the UFOs is, is honeybees. He said that there was an anti-gravity chamber in the thorax of honeybees and that they reverse engineered this. And this is what UFOs used to fly. And... It was so wild that, like, I didn't even bother writing it down. I was just like, well, shit, that's a crazy story. 
And it kind of just was one of those like background crazy stories I had heard. And I had met him a second time at his home. And there was some weird, like I didn't see like a badge or anything, but there was some weird assets and things that made his like CIA backstory a little more believable. The first time I met him was like in a cafe roadside, like buffet type deal. And I was like, this guy's maybe a little, little, little tweaked out. But the second meeting, I was like, well, you might be tweaked out, but something going on here. Um, Well, years later, I um, years later, I was writing um, my first book about a case I was investigating in Chile involving um, this supposed group of Pleiadian aliens um, called the Friendship. And of course, South America has another group of secretive blonde haired people that like to hide out in the middle of nowhere, um, Nazis. And I went and did some investigating at some former Nazi compounds and stuff like that to to explore this theory there in Chile. And when I was writing the, the chapter in the book about this, you know, this idea that maybe this group is not aliens, but just Nazi scientists trying to play it off as aliens. Um, I wrote about George's little theory that if it is, you know, just bees, then yeah, the Nazis could have probably figured that out. And if you think about the Nazi bell, that famous supposed anti-gravity device, it kind of looks like the back end of a bee, right? Kind of got the stinger shape a little bit to it. Um, and it was literally, that was, that was the paragraph. It was a one-off paragraph. Um, and when I released the book, it, um, surprisingly, people read it and started asking me to come on podcasts and talk about it. And one such show, um, The Sensible Sociopath, they do like a live show on Friday nights on YouTube. Um, and it's more like a comedy general subjects show. But they they had me on because they wanted to you know talk about aliens and stuff. Who doesn't? Yep. And um, they read the book and the host, he that paragraph jumped out at him. Because he had a friend whose father worked in military intelligence. He would never tell the family what he was doing. And when they would ask, he said, I'm a man in black, like in the movies. So they knew it had something to do with like aliens and UFOs and stuff. And on this man's deathbed, when the sons asked for more information, all he would say was, think about bees. All he would say on the matter. Like, tell us about the UFOs. What can you say? Think about bees. That's all he would say. And so when he read the little paragraph in my book, he was like, well, shit. They had always assumed it was maybe how bees communicate, like some kind of insect-based intelligence. Um, And so they read that, and they're like, well, maybe that's that's it. That's the uh, anti-gravity secret. And so... um, I went and I started digging through scientific journals and stuff about bees and about some interesting stuff. Um, there used to be this, this saying that bees are too heavy for their wings. Their wings aren't big enough. Um, I think it's even at the start of that Jerry Seinfeld bee movie where it's like a quote says bees are too heavy. They fly anyways because they don't give a shit or something like that or (laughs) they don't give a damn. Um, And this was discovered one day by a bunch of MIT mathematicians because when you're like a genius, this is what you do for fun. They were like, let's calculate like the bees wingspan and stuff. And they're like, wait a minute, this doesn't check out. This doesn't add up. And nowadays, that kind of motif's been debunked. It's said that the bees do a special like whirlwind pattern that gives them the extra lift. Has it been debunked Um, or has it been perception managed? Well, that's a a very good question because even though they say this is explained, there is a current study out addressing or acknowledging a mystery specifically about honeybees. And this study showed that honeybees have something they've called economy mode, where when they're carrying pollen, they're actually using less energy. And no one knows how this works. They're they're not respirating as fast. They're like not beating their wings as fast. And this goes against all, all logic. It's as if they were lighter while they're carrying more weight. Um, and so this is, is still a conundrum. They they haven't 
you know, figured out. Um, there's also some other weird things about bees' nests in relation to gravity. Like they build them in ways that no other insects do that kind of ignores gravitational centers and things like that. Um, but it was all pretty wordy and, and buggy and sciencey. So I was like, all right, cool, interesting. Let's go to the weird sources. Like let's tap in to like our above top secrets, you know, the um the it's not the deep web but it's the uh tinfoil web um so a little I'm, past ufo twitter huh right yeah yeah, yeah. uh the, the the meat of, of where those guys are ripping off um so i uh i stumbled across a now defunct um website KeelyNet. Um, and it was run by this dude who was obsessed with all kinds of like free alternate energy devices. Um, and the, the Keeley he's referencing was this guy who supposedly had like this wonder gas. Um, and, you know, after his death, it was all debunked as compressed air supposedly right uh, but it gets into like the the brazilian dude who made a motorcycle that runs on seawater and like all those other weird stories you know where most of them wind up mysteriously dead with two gunshot um, wounds in the back of their head in a river in a suitcase yeah, yeah. right or, or arrested you have your wilhelm reich with orgone energy now they they sell those pyramids in like every new age shop has nothing to do with the actual orgone research that he was conducting um, but the reason it doesn't is because when the government arrested him they seized all of his devices and inventions and they said he was using them to heal people and and interestingly enough to create weather. That was his other big like he was hired by local farmers to create rain and shit and paid consistently like he was on the the um on the on the uh, payroll to come in and create rain with his weird devices. Um that same rain creating device he claimed could shoot down UFOs as well. But they arrested him, took all of his stuff, even though it was bunk science. It's, it's not real. Um, and none of it was ever released. He died in prison and all of that stuff. Very similar to, to what happened to most of Tesla's work after he passed. Um, <clears throat> but um, the thing that jumped out on this net wasn't any of these these well-known ones it was the last thing the guy who was running the website was working on he was um getting these translated um portions of this memoir from russia um and the memoir belonged to a russian scientist named victor gurbinikov and gurbinikov was an entomologist he was a bug guy real dude um there's tons of scientific papers published in his name there's even like a portion of a university out in siberia that's named after him like he was a, a prominent um a prominent scholar in entomology and towards the end of his life he wrote a memoir and including all of his discoveries which includes this bizarre cse effect this cavity structure effect a special kind of like emf signal give, given off by insect nests in particular, but also anything that has repeated cavernous structures. Like if you took a handful of straws and held them together, it would give off this effect. Um, and there's still papers today being published about that effect and its implications, which if you remind me, I'll touch back on. <laughs> um, but the most interesting thing Gurbinikov wrote about um, wasn't the alfalfa pests he like figured out how to to eradicate not the the insect nest structures he wrote in between sandwiched in between all of these discoveries he wrote a chapter about the time he built a flying craft um and it all started when he was examining the shells of these insects these exoskeleton shells and he noticed a special pattern on them um uh, <clears throat> And through his previous research, he knew this pattern would give off one of these CSE kind of effects. And so when he looked at it under a microscope, the first thing he noted was that it hovered for a second before it came to touch on the glass. And he thought, well, maybe it's static electricity. So he tried it from another one and another one and another one, and it kept occurring. 
And so then he stitched a bunch of them together and put them in this kind of block formation. And when he would tap this block with a pencil, it would kind of fly up to the ceiling and then kind of like float down like a balloon almost, even though it was made up of of heavy insect shells. Um, And he never specified which type of insect he was using, but I think we can... uh, uh, assume and he specifically said he didn't want to name the insect because he worried about the population being you know harvested and damaged from people figuring this out so again perhaps it's the bees Um, though in his later writings he seems to imply that most heavy flying insects would have this kind of effect applied to their exoskeletons which gets into some weird, you know, semi von Daniken ancient alien stuff with if you start to think about scarab beetles in Egypt and um there's a fascinating correlation here in the Americas um where uh the coral castle down south here in Florida which is this famous megalithic structure the guy who built it said he discovered the secret of the pyramids that's how he was doing it <clears throat> And the only witnesses who saw this man create this massive, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> this massive monolithic structure, he built it by himself in the middle of the night and moved it by himself in the middle of the night to a different location, um, several ton blocks. And the only people to witness it were these kids who rode out and supposedly saw him in the middle of the night. And he was using this cone-shaped object that was giving off this humming vibration and seeming to levitate the stones with it what's interesting about that is in aztec mythology um there's a legend where in order for quetzalcoatl to create the current incarnation of man there's been five incarnations before and they've all been destroyed and cataclysms involving the gods and stuff but Quetzalcoatl, who is kind of like the main character in their, their mythology, he has to sneak into the underworld to create humanity again. And to do so, he has to trick the god of the underworld who sits atop a pyramid. And to do so, he puts a bunch of bees inside of a conch cell or a trumpet, depending on your translation, and does a, a special dance around the pyramid. And this tricks the god of the underworld and that's how this new incarnation of of humanity is created and i think that symbology is pretty pretty interesting when you compare it to the the coral castle story Uh, again how does you just do you fill it with insect shells I, i don't know how the mechanism necessarily works but it's interesting that in the aztec mythology it specifically cites he used a trumpet full of bees um so um Gerbinikov, though, once he built one of these boxes, he was like, all right, well, what would happen if I got a bunch of these strapped together and like stood above it on like a little platform? And that's what he did. He built this this platform. It looks essentially like a, a pallet with some handlebars. <laughs> and supposedly this thing was capable of flight and not just flight, some impossibly fast speeds. Um But despite its ridiculous appearance, on his first flight, he flew it around the the university at night. And when he he landed, the next morning, the papers were reporting UFO sightings all across the the town. But people weren't seeing a squat Russian scientist flying on a, a flying pallet. They were seeing these geometric glowing shapes discs and triangles and cigars, the classic UFO shapes. Um, And he noted this almost always when he flew the craft. People looking above would not see him. They would see some kind of colored shape distortion. Um, He also began to note other strange side effects of the craft. Um, He was using it to go out to his research fields in remote Siberia and collect insect samples. On one such occasion, he was collecting these rare larvae, put them in in a vial, popped it in his pocket, took the the two-hour flight back to his lab, because even though it was 
capable of incredible speeds. He would never go that fast on it because, again, he's like just a dude strapped in with a leather belt <laughs> standing on a platform. So did he evolve um, it to have like a chair and maybe like a little mirror or something like that, like a little disco ball? Well, he only used it for a short period, and that will become okay. uh, apparent why here in a moment. So on this trip, he um, he gets back and he takes this vial out of his pocket, and the larva on the inside was now a fully grown insect, something that would normally take months. And it, it occurred in his pocket on this short trip. He also began to notice other strange side effects. If anything ever fell off the craft while he was in flight, the surrounding area would start to have these weird poltergeist-like phenomenon. These perfectly round holes would appear in people's window, which is something that occurred in the Mothman case here in the U.S. And it, it pops up in some of the more extreme UFO um, encounters. Um um, one incident, he dropped one of those vials and he found it partially fused in with a window. Um, people would start to hear voices and, and see strange lights and things in, in the area. He would operate this craft frequently. Um, <clears throat> so pretty soon he was like, well, what is it doing to me <laughs> if yeah. I'm flying this around like health wise? But the other reason he he stopped doing it is he noted that people were seeing UFOs all over the world, which means someone else has discovered this secret and they ain't telling anybody. And so he was like, it's probably in my best interest just to shut the fuck up about this before I piss off some kind of shadowy organization, whoever knows this, you know, result as a, a dude who grew up and lived in Russia, a pretty solid conclusion on his part. Yeah. He's like, this is going to make too many waves. I'm going to put this up. Um, <clears throat> And again, he just leaves this this brief story about this invention he created in um, his memoirs. And he's much more interested in this CSE effect. And again, the CSE effect still studied today. Um, I was actually just sent a, a paper by a fan who... Um, it was from these German researchers who just published this study that says the the presence of this CSE effect proves that there is a universal superfluid. Um, and so this gets a little sciencey. And again, I'm not a scientist. I'm a paranormal investigator. So bear with me, but I'm going to try to make this as, as cohesive as possible. We appreciate the consideration. Uh, Please. Sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, again, and, and no one likes to hear too much science from a guy who looks as crazy as I do. Um, You're the guy I want to hear stuff. about science from. I don't want to hear this by some <laughs> right? douchebag with a, at, with a bow tie. bus stop at 3 a.m. I want some guy with a paps and a joint with a hair, you know, like yours <laughs> well, telling yeah. me about what's going on with science. I am all well, ears, sir. I'm, I'm going to spark another one. Please, then. please. Uh, <laughs> so, by all means. I just find um, I just find this so interesting, Chaz, dude. This is, and of course, all the ways to find you linked below. Your book is fascinating. So uh, please continue, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I appreciate it. The um, the superfluid thing is is a new aspect of the uh, the research that I've kind of stumbled upon recently. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, what what is a superfluid? Um, there's only one that we know of to exist because it's the only one we can physically see turn into a superfluid, and that's helium um, three. And the the moon's full of it. It's the the one they they want to get. Um, and it's the one. There's videos of it. If you um, superfluid helium three, where it once you're getting to absolute zero, there's a sweet spot right before you hit that where the the molecules of the the liquid are the exact same as the moving at the same rate as the molecules of the container. And so it just falls through the bottom, but also it rises up the top and kind of flows out the top in a weird way. Cause it's, it's essentially quantumly phasing through the, the, the container. And again, this is something if you have like a really good science lab, you can do people film it 
And there's been three um, Nobel Peace Prizes awarded to scientists experimenting with this quantum fluid. Um, now, the superfluid hypothesis is the idea that there is a superfluid like that constantly around us at all times. And since it is at a quantum level, it phases in and out of our being. Like, there's no way for us to physically observe it. Now, the paper I was sent is saying that this CSE effect, this cavity structure effect, I said it works like a EMF, like an electromagnetic field, but that's not quite right because the CSE effect works through solid objects. If you want to, like, Faraday cage an object, you can get you know, safe from radiation, safe from electromagnetics, those kind of fields. But you wouldn't be safe from a CSE effect. A CSE effect would travel through. And that's why people have been using it in um, medicine, um, especially in like traditional medicine. There's some connections to acupuncture and all these other bizarre, um, you know, what we kind of call pseudoscience, but it seems to work. Uh, <clears throat> The CSE effect seems to be what's at play there, and it can physically travel through bone and um, uh, bone, flesh, metal, anything like that. And it's essentially pushing the currents of the fluid. Um, and that's what, what this concept is. And so if that's true, if de facto, that actually makes perfect sense for bees and these heavy insects, that they just have this slight adaption that helps them. It's like um, like how crabs have those little flippers that help them swim. Like they yeah, normally walk, so but they have, yeah, they yeah. have those things and they can swim really fast. And it's because they're they're creating a, a current. Yeah. And so the concept here is that these these heavy insect shells have a built-in CSE effect that gives them extra lift through that quantum fluid. And if we extrapolate that to UFOs, then that would explain how Gurbinikov's craft works and how these other craft work. And it would also explain these other super bizarre side effects these you know almost glitches in physics and realities the tiny holes the weird noises is because something is traveling through that quantum fluid essentially it could pop up in a way we couldn't physically understand and seemingly out of nowhere dude first of all fucking awesome <laughs> second of all I have heard of these examples and seen these videos of these guys levitating these beetles, uh, the scarab beetles, you know, their tough wings that they have. They're their outer exoskeletal mm -hmm. shells that go over their actual wings that make them fly. And these little things that, you know, we think of like little covers for them, which I, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, they double as that as well. But what's interesting is when they started applying different sound frequencies to it, you've seen this, they just floated mm -hmm. like a motherfucker describing exactly what you're saying about the configuration that Bervinikov had. Now, what's interesting is I'm hearing that basically you just take enough bug wings, you strap them together in a certain pattern, and now we can all fly around, but we look like diamonds and UFOs from underneath? That uh, uh, apparently... I mean, to be reductive, right? research, that is, at the moment, how it essentially sounds. Now, the, the research, Gurbinikov has passed. He died in 2001. Um, but his son was communicating this and helping translate it um, to this KeeleyNet. Now, the guy who ran KeeleyNet, he also died suddenly. He seemed to be kind of a shut-in, so there's no really information on who he was, um, you know. But he, he, all of his accounts have stopped after i believe it was 2017 there was no more posting on any of his his content um and it did just seem to be a regular dude you know um but his uh, keely net was shut down as well you can still find it saved through the Wayback machine um but it, the, the trails kind of ran cold there's not really you know any uh good routes of communications and i have russian friends and i've asked them about it and they're like i don't know man they're like well my russian friends aren't in russia and they don't really have plans of going back so it's not like they could uh 
be like, yeah, let me just call my buddy in this remote Siberian uh, university. The whole thing's a little iffy right now. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's bizarre that the the story lines up so closely with um, these two random supposed intelligence sources. And again, I have to admit, the story is a great story. Yeah. But I always remind myself it is just a story. Like, I don't have the, the evidence. And I tried to recreate some of Gerbinikov's machines. And I was like, meh. Like, I don't really think – I'm not feeling the CSE effect. But again, what do I know? Like, what am I trying to feel? So, um yeah, but that being you... said, I haven't harvested a bunch of bees and tried to build a UFO out of them yet. I think there's some ethical issues there. <laughs> well, but here's the thing too. What if it, you don't have to be unethical, be unethical about it? What if you can just like create like a hive or a chamber that's in a certain configuration that basically the bees flying around and existing in this perfect environment in a certain tube of chambers or something like that, that configuration of them being alive and just being there, make the craft fly. You know, what that if that's- That would be nice, but- Gurbinikov's pretty clear about it being in the shells and harvesting the shells. And again, this is definitely um, circumstantial. I don't think it's well, maybe cause doesn't necessarily equal correlate correlation on this one. But if you look at the map of how UFO sightings have increased and bee populations no, have yeah. decreased, okay, that's fair. Maybe they're maybe pretty, that's where they're going. Again, maybe, maybe the bees are warming or whatever, but it's pretty weird. <laughs> Maybe that. that's where they're that's where they're going. The bees are all saying "fuck this." They're turning into UFOs and flying <laughs> around because they know how to do it. They're like, "We're done. We're shifting. We're doing this thing." Well, that that brings in another aspect of this this theory. So I, I'm jokingly mentioned above top secret earlier, but there was an intriguing post someone sent me from there from their forum section of someone posting online that. They were on a hike and they walked into, you know, you know how like in the deep woods, there's almost rooms. There's like little spaces and uh, clearings in the, the trees and the thicket. And they walked into one of these areas in the, the woods and they suddenly got like super dizzy and their vision started like blurring and they, the surroundings started like fading in and out. And they realized they were standing and surrounded completely by insect nests, like hornet nests and this just massive huge pile of, of all the trees on the ground all of it was was insect nest and he like hopped out of this this circle and and kind of like got back to reality and there's that kind of a, a four missing 411 type implication to this and again if this cse effect um if in massive amounts could perhaps cause something like a a riptide in the uh in the the quantum fluid it, it fucking blasts you off somewhere you know deep into some place you shouldn't be it teleports you essentially yeah. um and again this lines up with a lot of the the weird side effects of the the what Gurbinikov described. And that was the thing that kind of convinced me Gurbinikov wasn't just making it up is because this was all, all happened after my first book. And in my first book, I write, wrote a list of comparisons between the psychedelic experience and the UFO experience. And the side effects Gurbinikov described were pretty much reading off that list. <laughs> like he was like, this is all the side effects that occur around and when operating this craft and it was again on par with not only a psychedelic experience but with what a ton of people report from having close encounters with ufos um so if he was faking it hats off to him <laughs> like he really if this is some, some elaborate psyop they really did their research <laughs> well it's fascinating to me because now it sounds like this um this cavity structure effect it sounds like it can be mimicked and then you can use some sort of sound because whenever we talk whenever i've heard and over the 20 years that i've heard about how anti-gravity works and all the coast to coast and all that stuff we talk about rate of spin oscillation sound mercury frequency uh those types of things and so all of those mm. seem to be involved and they seem to be found right here which is really interesting too so the it's it seems like sort of like a low-tech way to do it but there's a way to 
sort of get a better understanding about it, which sounds like what Berbenikov did. And it's just interesting to me now looking at UFOs through the way that maybe it's an advanced version of that. Like they start that way, but they don't, they, they're not that way now. But I'm thinking of this just simply because of the descriptions of it appearing different and UFO reports and it morphing and affecting what people saw. The thing about the thing that I'm thinking is, is it's sort of like an experience like that, whatever it creates in people's experience, it manifests in front of them is mm-hmm. something that's so different that they input something as a replacement to replace what oh, they're yeah. seeing. So it's almost like their reticular activating system just kicks, kicks into kicks in here and just says, okay, UFO. Okay. Uh, you know, different kind of UFO. You know, you don't understand what you're saying. It's and that's what I tend to believe most paranormal phenomenon is, at least the variations of it, is yeah. that kind of observate observer effect where if you like believe really hard in angels and demons, you're gonna see something that it's your mind's gonna be like, Well, that's a demon, that's an angel. If you believe in if you're a UFO guy, you're gonna see a UFO. Um, Bigfoot, you're going to see Bigfoot if you're out in the woods. I think um, the reason you have a lot of people seeing the like modern skinwalker archetype, that like weird bovine morphed creature, is because you have people who don't necessarily, for the first time in history, people who don't necessarily believe in religion, they don't necessarily believe in aliens, they don't really believe in, um, you know, uh bigfoot so they see something unexplainable in the woods and their mind does the best it can so well we're in the woods so it must be a woodland creature but it's also not a creature so it's probably dangerous so here is here's what we got for you weird deer monster creature (laughs) run away please (laughs) that's your mind's interpretation in that moment yeah and that's the thing is you know i kind of take for granted the that we talk about that you know it's the phenomena itself that has a power over you in the ability to hijack your consciousness and make it appear to you the way it chooses to. But Mm -hmm. the way that I'm thinking of it now is, is it actually, it's just sort of perhaps something so anomalous here that again, your mind just can't wrap its mind around it. So it inputs something for you. So you don't just fucking lose your shit and shut down. It does seem like that's the behavior the phenomenon has with it too. The, The concept that it's the trickster with many masks. I think that was a step forward word but i think we're prescribing it too much yeah uh, i'm not even sure sentience is the right word we might be giving it too much sentience but too much motive like it's it's out to trick us it's out to get us when in reality most of the time it seems to be operating in a way that is almost non-caring about us you yeah, know it's very it, indifferent it, Again, we talk about the darker aspects of the phenomenon, alien abduction, cattle mutilations, things like that. But that's also how we treat animals. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like just it's it's um, you know, apathy almost. We're we're not doing it because we hate them. It's just the job that needs to be done. And the you know, like we we give it this sentience, oh, it's tricking us, it's eluding us, but if after the, the years of looking at the phenomenon, I do think that, no, I think it's us. We're, our mind is playing tricks on us. And we're looking at something that is a glitch in reality, anomaly in physics, and we're slapping that filter over it. Um, I've been researching from afar. I really hope sometime soon I can go and investigate this case in person. Um, but in Namibia, in Southern Africa, um, there's this uh, ghost ghost of Namibia. And in the early colonial times, this light sphere was seen, and then you'd get close and you'd have reports of like a ghostly woman in white, your classic ghost stereotype. Nowadays, this ghost light will out in the remote desert, it'll follow a car, it will, people will have missing time, it acts very much like a UFO. But in this one specific region around the riverbed, close to um pretty close to the border with South Africa between these these two towns and around these villages they see this light and when it gets close they see it as a giant snake and so from afar it's a light sphere but once it gets close the light is almost like an angler fish it's this light on the front of a a giant flying snake and it's got these cobra-like flaps that it uses as wings Um, it leaves it's got smoke coming out of its nose. There's this associated heat temperature with it. 
Um, and its behavior, the reports from the locals state that it drains the blood out of cattle, specifically sheep. It leaves these perfectly burned puncture holes, drains them of all their fluids and organs, and leaves these husks just like a, a cattle mutilation. And um, this area isn't as exposed to as much um, colonialism. That being said, some of the reports come from colonial farmers who were like Dutch dudes who lived in this region for a while. And they were like, I don't believe in the, the snake until I saw it. <laughs> then they, they had cattle who died in this manner and they saw this giant flying snake. Um, but the initial contact, the initial sighting, this weird light is the same. And that seems to occur in all paranormal phenomena, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, you have the rear light spheres. And then once the human filter seems to apply to whatever that anomaly is, we're interpreting that light in different ways. Um, and I think from Namibia, there's actually a really interesting scientific study to, to back this concept up with some of the, the people who live in the remote Kalahari Desert. Um, they conducted this experiment, really simple color test, nine circles, um, one of them's blue, um, and it's obvious blue to us. We can easily see it. The other nine circles, they're all green. One of them's a shade different green. Like if you're in Photoshop, like one tick. And it's essentially impossible to tell which one's different. And these Kalahari bush people, they could see that different circle instantly. They could pick it out. But when they were presented with the turquoise circle, they were like, um, I don't know, maybe that one, maybe this one. And they don't have a word for blue and turquoise in their language. And so it does seem that, you know, there is a cultural aspect of this. There's a consciousness aspect of it. There's a language aspect of it. It's a lot more complex than simply the phenomenon is sentient and it's tricking us. I think there is a, a baser um, mechanism of, of physics and reality occurring when, when these sightings happen. Yeah. And perhaps even just an opportunity for you to see some dope shit and to step it up as far as like what you're ready to cognitively perceive. And so it will mimic your ideas, but it's you projecting your ideas onto something that will just mimic what you project it to be, you know, what you choose to experience it as. It's really interesting. So I want to go a little bit more nuts and bolts with the UFO real quick. So do you think that there is perhaps, let's just go nuts and bolts that the that we live on a round ball and that there's planets out there and that's where things are made. And that, you know, there's uh, perhaps an insect on another planet that's huge, like that has these massive wings. And basically they figured out, we could just take one or two of these bitches, slap them together. They're silver, so they're easy to see in the sky. That's just the way they look. And basically it's an organic craft in the sense that it's a husk of an organic insect that possesses the same CME effect that we find here on Earth. Yeah, absolutely possible. And that, I think, is one of the, the best aspects of the, the bee theory, as it were, is that if it's true, it doesn't necessarily negate any of the other paranormal theories. If it is just something that simple, and really, if it's even if it's just the superfluid hypothesis, if that is true and these craft, they, you know, we're, we're thinking of them operating in the atmosphere like a plane, but they're actually operating more like a submarine in the quantum fluid. Yeah. The, the physics behind that would be a, an entirely separate branch. And who's to say that frequencies and um, mag magnetics and all these other things also don't have an effect on the quantum fluid in a similar way CSE does. And so if this has been understood and being researched in secret and private, there could be perhaps a half a dozen ways to create that same, you know, propeller super fluid effect that, you know, they're just not sharing with us. Um, and again, if, there's a society out there that, you know, on a, a distant world that's figured this out. And it is something like superfluid. If the superfluid hypothesis is true, these craft could 
theoretically move through solid objects. You could travel impossible speeds. Now, could the occupant survive that kind of travel? Who knows? Traveling through the superfluid has a, a, a potentially a uh, entirely different set of, of mechanics. We can't think about it like friction in water because we know air is different than that. And it's they're only a few molecules apart. Um, so th this quantum fluid, whatever it is, the uh, modes of transportation through it could be you know, far and vast, similar to our modes and transportation through air and water. Um, and so, yeah, I, I again, uh, I think it's an interesting, interesting theory. And if the superfluid is ever pervading and these craft are operating in it, it would probably cause those reality bending side effects where we're, we're left with our mind trying to fill in the gaps. And that explains why they can operate, you know, essentially so recklessly. They can just do whatever they want because essentially everyone who sees them just tripping balls, yes. they're not going to be a reliable witness. That's right. Yes. <laughs> now, the only difference in this would be in the uh, Bravinikov's case is whenever he landed, he didn't look like shapes in another UFO or something. He was back to Russian dude squatting on a pallet. That's true. But UFOs, <laughs> yeah, UFOs <laughs> aren't reported the same way so that's the thing though maybe they've advanced to the point to where it is really that it's four squatting little alien dudes sitting on a pallet basically and then whenever it lands there's some sort of mechanism i don't know that you know cloaks it in a way and maybe they've like okay yeah we figured out the thing a long time ago so pallets and bug wings is the only way to do this thing by the way but you can change the way it looks when it lands that's the advancements that's where they've gone you know but i well, do like the idea that there's so many ways to do this around here and dave zed and i have talked about this we're we're gonna all get together for a hang so dave and i have talked about this to where uh you know it's it's like this thing to where I, and i'll ask you then do you think that they should give us the technology because we all agree that perhaps they know about it uh, we're we're very in agreement on that, but also perhaps maybe we shouldn't all have it, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I think that, um, you know, there's probably a lack of understanding from the if it, we do have human craft who operate in this way. I think there's still very much um, under study to the, the side effects of what these craft do. I think that actually might explain what Skinwalker Ranch is, is that Bigelow initially bought this because I, I firmly believe if this technology exists, the private sector's in on it too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're probably the ones trying out all the, the weird stuff, whether secondary from the military or ahead of the military, who knows, but they're certainly in on it. Um, if perhaps Bigelow was testing out one of these crafts for an extended period on that ranch, knowing that it would operating this craft causes paranormal side effects. And the research into Skinwalker Ranch was a bunch of top tier scientists who weren't being told the actual objective. They were test rats, essentially, to see what happens to these areas over a long period of time. Um, and apparently, according to the TV show, it, the, the phenomenon dies off over time. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not catching very, they catch some weird shit, but not that weird shit. <laughs> it's not that bizarre. And I'm pretty sure they faked some of it. It's but. not the bulls in the shed bizarre. Locked yeah, back. it's no yeah. no giant bulletproof wolves or anything like that. Yeah. Bulls so in the sheds are definitely the, one of the weirdest examples. Um, <clears throat> all that, none of that's been produced. And again, I also think that has something to do, and this lines up with the the research that was conducted at Skinwalker Ranch with the presence of cameras. And so let's apply that concept to what we were talking about earlier with our, our minds being the filter. A camera would essentially then be a neutral, non-biased lens to record it. And what do they capture the most often? Light, just light phenomenon. And then... Um, Specifically, though, these phenomenon during the, the Bigelow research years would avoid the cameras and sabotage the cameras. Yes. So that is another aspect of it where it does seem to have more of that trickster-like intelligence. I, you can't sell out any of these 
um, theories wholesale. They're all worth consideration. Well, that would be um, the best thing a trickster could do is convince us that perhaps it's us projecting onto it and it's all us creating it. it it's got nothing to do with itself. And so it kind of Tai Chi's the blame, if you will, back onto us as far as its non-existence or, you know, uh, it's lack exactly. of real interest in our lives. Yeah. Well, yeah, if it has an understanding of this, that would be the the modus operandi. Well, I got to shut down the cameras and then it doesn't matter if I'm seen by a physical observer because their brain's going to tell them I'm an angel or I'm an alien or whatever. Who cares? <laughs> so do you think that maybe they're, they show lights whenever it's cameras or it's... Uh mass sightings it's excuse me usually far off in lights so do you think that that's for everybody because there's too broad of a consciousness to affect you know what i mean um yeah i i definitely think that that occurs if you look at like the big religious events like you know the like sighting at fatima and stuff if you really dig into the what people saw the reports vary actually wildly only a small group and specifically like teenage girls were seeing angels and stuff the rest of people were seeing light spheres and um you know giant glowing crosses there was kind of again that expectation gap was being filled in and to an extent um and that is recorded throughout historical you know biblical sightings religious events um and it's recorded in ufo phenomenon i i think the aerial school case is a really good example where all those kids saw a ufo touchdown and aliens get out but if you look at their drawings and their descriptions all of them are slightly different so the aliens sometimes have clothes sometimes not sometimes they got hair there, there's varying motifs slightly different expectations being met by each uh observer um what 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 do you think of the analogy of like sort of like um let's say that you go to a rock concert and you're there to go see sugar ray okay and you're like fuck yeah dude I'm, i'm up on this sugar ray now they're gonna appear on stage a certain way and they're going to project their energy to a mass of people rather than a specific person but Let's say at said concert, you get chosen because you're the Sugar Ray fan of the month and you get to go backstage for a meet and greet. <clears throat> he would appear very different. What do they always say, right? When you meet your rock stars, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've met a few people that are super like four foot. I'm like, okay. I mean, it's cool as shit, but I was just like, not what I was expecting. Not the big yeah. you that I'm used to seeing you portrayed as. So this is, this is sort of the thing. You get a more intimate contact with the phenomena. It gets to present itself to you in a different way, you know, a more specific, more tailored to you way, you get its attention and whatever abilities come with that, its ability to be perceived in a certain way, affect you a certain way, whatever. So it's more of a mass sighting type of a thing. And yeah, this is probably why they appear as more orbs and lights and things like that in certain areas. The Marfa lights are a great example. A lot of people have paid Mm. attention to these things, but they're just fucking lights from a distance because there's no intimate contact. You got to get close to the stage, you know, and get up, get up, Mm. get amongst them. Right. So it's an interesting, um, interesting theory, dude. I I love that. That's, that's very fascinating. So uh, I want to ask you then, do you think that UFO crashes are a thing? Um, absolutely. I definitely think that, um, if, especially if they're physical craft, if there is a physical aspect of it, then yeah, they, of course, would get shot down every once in a while. You know, we've been trying, (laughs) there's no question about it. Uh, we we wouldn't be, the military wouldn't be doing their jobs if they weren't trying. Um, so the likelihood that they've had at least some kind of success, I think is at least anecdotally backed up. Um, Again, what's to say what's actually occurring there and what's manipulated information? Who knows? Um, and again, perhaps the the effect of these crafts acts like radiation. And so the, the wreckage has that psychedelic effect as well. You know, being around it, just close to it, has a, a reality bending aspect to it. And we kind of know this with like, optical illusions where like you stare at a thing and then look at the wall and you see an image and stuff like that. We can, our eyes and vision can be um, altered externally. It doesn't, you don't have to take a drug to necessarily be put into an altered state. And so however this mechanism works, perhaps it's like the guy stepping into the, the 
you know, valley of the bee nests and started feeling that weird vibration and his surroundings started to change and he started to have a, a consciousness bending experience. Um, so yeah, I think if, if these craft exist physically, that that is certainly an aspect of them. There's something about them that operates in that same way. Uh, because I firmly believe ghosts and Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot's a ghost for sure. Do you for really? sure. He's, he's a poltergeist. I just, had Al- all- I just had Alexander Petikoff on and he's the dude that does a Bigfoot Beyond the Trail. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, YouTube yeah, series? yeah, absolutely. He's cool as awesome. shit. You guys should totally hang. He is more in the camp of uh, the just um, ancient undiscovered ha- uh, hominid. Mm-hmm. Now I love all of it. I think it's all fascinating. But I want to run oh, yeah. something by you by Bigfoot. Uh, while while I've got you about Bigfoot, okay. What about this? So we see in the case of Bigfoot, a lot of people report that they are associated with UFOs, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But also, we never. I've I have not heard a reported case of uh, specifically Bigfoot. Some having to do with a hairy automaton type thing that may be in that category. We can't rule it out. So I'm just going to generalize here. Of the thought of a Bigfoot actually picking you up and then taking you onto a craft, there is sort of a psychedelic interface and a telepathic connection that have been reported with something that appears as Bigfoot, not necessarily actually Bigfoot. Okay. So then the the thing that I was talking to Alexander about, and this was actually after the interview, so I'm grateful that I was able to bring it up here because it didn't get released, but him and I talked for like another half hour after that. One of the things we talked about was is that perhaps these... Whenever a UFO is seen, there's all sorts of other accounts of them appearing as owls, deer, all sorts of mm-hmm. things in a native environment it's as to memories. Yeah. Yeah. So screen memory. So the connection I want to ask you about is, is it possible that Bigfoot then falls way more into Alexander Petikoff's ideal that it's more of a, a local thing than it is a sort of it maybe exotic, but it's definitely local because it's imitated as some as a screen memory by UFO people, by UFO like non-human intelligences in those accounts. Again, it's it seems that what they're mimicking here is something that could pass as something that should be here. So if it's right. imitating as Bigfoot, it thinks, oh, people are just going to think that these are everywhere. It doesn't know that we think that they're weird, which is a funny little low-tech faux pas. Maybe it comes back in the quantum field and just says, oh, I you know haven't visited Earth in uh, this long. Humans must know that these things are all around. They're fucking everywhere. So I'm going to pose as a Bigfoot because it's the most common thing that I remember this place being made up of <laughs> at the time. And then now you have that interface. And so it doesn't negate any of the woo-woo that's associated with Bigfoot. The fact right. that it looks like Bigfoot doesn't also mean that it's also f- woo-woo. <clears throat> it could just be that the woo-woo part of it is posing as Bigfoot because it's supposed to be here. Yeah, well, I I think that's definitely part of it. I, I think what you have when you have a, a cryptid or a motif, um, no matter what it is, there is a uh, origin story. Yeah, and yeah, a lot yeah. of times, especially at like locations that are hot spots, there's an older story too. The Mothman Point Pleasant was cursed by a Native American chief. Um, Pascagoula, Mississippi, when I consider one of the best abductions, those dudes were abducted on Singing River. There was a legend of a Native American massacre and this phantom song that's reported on this small stretch of the river just happened to be the exact same piece of river these guys are abducted on. Um, and in my recent book, I wrote about the the bet sphere um, in uh, Fort George Island, just north of Jacksonville here in Florida. And the house that that occurred in, famously haunted. None, none of the UFO researchers have ever brought this up in the case when they discuss it. But it was a famous haunted house before the family moved in. That's <laughs> they the, have to find this sphere that moves on its own. See, that's the associated disciplines, though. That's why it's important to kind of, you know, reach across the aisles and to sort of research all sorts of things, you know. And that's why I like that the paranormal and woo-woo, the freaky woo-woo is brought up in Bigfoot. But then also you can kind of look at it as something different. Any, I've been up to Washington. You could totally hide in those woods. You know what I mean? Now, oh, I, yeah. It's well, just it comes down to to someone uh, an anthropologist termed it um, I can't remember his name but I've heard it recently the boggle threshold where 
It's the the moment where like you want your research to be taken seriously. And if you're researching the paranormal, you're going to hit a moment where like you're like, man, that's bullshit. Yeah, (laughs) it's going to happen. It happens to me all the time. Like a lot of flat earth people, they go into it to disprove it. And then they're like, fuck, I'm now a flat earther. Great. You know what I mean? It's all those stories of the people that do that. There's so many that go into all sorts of different disciplines, modalities with this. Yeah, well, everyone's got a wall that they'll they'll hit and be. Uh, I'm not. I want to be taken serious. I'm not going right. to include that. Um, and the Bigfoot people, they really want to be taken serious. And they, most of them, again, have had like an experience, and that's why they want to prove it's, it was a physical thing. But the the truth of the matter is, reality is only partially physical. There's there's these aspects that are are non-physical to it. And if you look at the the physical evidence of what happens during a Bigfoot investigation, like what is normally collected, you get knocking. The same thing a poltergeist does. Mm -hmm. One of the most common poltergeist things. You get objects thrown. Again, just like a poltergeist, they'll throw objects or gift objects. You'll have a random thing appear. And again, that's what poltergeists like to do. They like to teleport Apport things randomly. Arrange, arrange shit too. Arrange shit. Yep, the formations. Um, and again, most of the time, the poltergeist and the Bigfoot are not physically seen. You only have these these side effects, and it's off somewhere in the dark, not not physically present. And so, the majority of Bigfoot encounters really fall. It seems to be more of a woodsy poltergeist yeah. than to be a, a physical creature. Now, again. I think you hit that moment, though, where whatever's causing that, if you're you're really looking at it, at that glitch in reality, at that error in physics, then you're going to have that filter be slapped on top of it. And so if you think that's those are all the signs of a Bigfoot, boom, you got a Bigfoot. And if you think that's the signs of a Wendigo or whatever, that's what you're going to see instead. Yes. Um, Just like people but, expect to see angels and demons, we'll see it that way. Right. And it follows those motifs. And many people who have reoccurring experiences with aliens, abductees who get abducted on repeated basis, they have oftentimes report similar poltergeist activity occurring in their home, weird um, teleportations and things like that. And, and just bizarre, you know, almost semi gaslighting esque effects that occur. The Ryan Musgrave Evans had him on the show. Uh, totally thinks this as well. All par- uh, poltergeist activity is paranormal. In all paranormal activity is aliens. As his aliens specifically, he's talked mm-hmm. to these crypto terrestrials. He's very familiar with them and Ooh. his family and everything. It's wild. So I I've got add- a guy for you in the okay. same kind of camp, but he's got a, a, a pretty bizarre take on it. <laughs> I love it. Then I I got to talk to him. So we'll do that. Now, um, I was going to ask you about shit. Uh, Okay, what's interesting also about the Bigfoot people that are out there walking around is you don't hear a lot of people saying, okay, my UFO abduction starts with, I was out in the woods looking for Bigfoot. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They're not interacting with other things necessarily. Like you said, when that glitch in physics, I love the way you put that, that was beautiful. That glitch in physics, your mind will fill it in as a hairy man because that's what you expect. That's the craziest thing you expect to see out there. So that's really interesting is that they're not also consciously remembering that they've been abducted. So I'd be interested to see if any of these Bigfoot researchers, especially if they've been out in the field for a while and have an experience that they can really tie to, is like, hey, dude, this is absolutely fucking weird. A lot of other times, I don't know what it was, but this was something. And sort of a regress from there, hypnotic regression that session. And maybe it was a damn, you know, uh, abduction phenomena account. You know, maybe it was a contact case. So, mm-hmm. I, and not by Bigfoot at all, by something that was totally different than that. So, uh, let me let me ask you this, man, and we're going to shut it off here. Uh, this has just been awesome, and you and I have so many more conversations to have, and I'm looking forward to all of them, dude. Seriously, you're a brother. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so I want to ask you, you know, let's end this um, on, a, on a positive note here, and this has all just been uplifting as shit and just mind-blowing, so thank you again. I want to know what you're looking forward to. Like, why did you reincarnate here? What gets you out of bed every morning? You know, if you're still here, there's work to be done. So what's yours? Um, well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I really enjoy the the paranormal um, work, looking for answers and stuff too. But I've also found a, a second passion in um, teaching um, and, uh, you know, helping kids find their, their passion. You know, as someone who 
was like, I'm going to investigate the paranormal for a living. It, you know, there's a lot, you get a lot of like that. Well, no, you're going to get a real job. And um, I did it. You know, I, I, I'm here writing books and working for a magazine. And, um, you know, I, I think it's great to, to pass that on to this generation and show them that, you know, you can do whatever, whatever it is. It's, you know, we got the, all of reality at your fingertips. Um, not just on the internet, but in, in other ways too. And so you can go out there and, and craft your own path. So um, I'm, I'm out there doing that. Um, I think in the, the best way I can. Um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I hope that for everyone. Man, well, we're glad you're here, dude. And you're absolutely crushing it. I'm grateful we've connected. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, I'll link a few of the ways to find you. Chaz of the Dead, you're amazing. You're welcome back any damn time. Thanks again, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Massive shout out to that man for coming by and just blowing all of our minds with that fascinating information, dude. Just one of the coolest guys, uh, an avid psychonaut, an author sometimes. I love his bio. Uh, check out his book, A Place Between Time and Space. All the ways to find him, of course, located down below in the show notes. Thank you again, Chaz. You will be back, my friend. All right, guys, while you guys are down in them there, show notes, check out all the new shirt designs that we have. There's a bunch of new stuff going off, so make sure you check that out. Along with all of that, check out our resource links. Uh, you got Food Forest Abundance. Get that freedom from fear on. Opus, the organization for paranormal understanding and support. You've also got Red Circle. If you'd like to start your own podcast, that's who we host through. They'll take great care of you. Also, if you really, really, really want to step your game up, the Manifestor's Guide, uh, use promo code EXPANDINGREALITY, all caps, no spaces, at checkout, and it sweetens the deal even more than that. Now, while you guys are down there as well, check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is our mothership. That is our central hub. That is also where all of the expansive insider content can be found. Guys, it is going off over there. We have tons of new shit to show you all, so definitely go check that thing out. Also, this is a value-for-value value model, so if you find this valuable, there are so many ways that you can show your love in that. All of it linked below, and I'm grateful for everyone. All right, guys, to so go out into this mysteriously amazing place, whatever the hell this thing is, and y'all pick up a piece of litter. Be nice to everybody that you come across. Uh, buy somebody in line a coffee or a meal, something super small like that to you. Makes a huge ripple effect of just awesomeness throughout the collective, and it is palpable AF, so definitely check that out. Also, while you guys are out there just crushing it at life in general, get out of the left-hand lane. You got somebody behind you wanting to pass there. And above all and anything else, guys, go out into this incredibly beautiful and mysterious place, whatever the fuck this is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for watching, for listening, and just for being the coolest damn sons of bitches ever. We'll see you next time. <laughs>